0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You've probably already gotten your first bug bite of the season, but itch is
1: way more than skin deep. I thought that all it was telling us was how do we sense something outside of our body, but it's teaching us how we sense everything, not just outside of our body, not just the five senses, but a thousand senses. This week on
0: Unexplainable, scientists have barely scratched the surface of itch. So how deep does it go? Listen to Unexplainable for new episodes every Wednesday. Hey guys, you might remember a special episode of the podcast a few weeks ago. It was the live show at the Apollo Theater in New York with Basim Yusuf, who was known as the John Stewart of Egypt, who spoke out against government autocracy in his country and ultimately had to flee? Well, Cafe is launching a second podcast, and it's hosted by Bassam Youssef. It's called Remade in America. And today I'm sharing the first episode of that podcast featuring comedian Mose Gibrani with stay tuned listeners. It's a show about feeling like an outsider in America and trying to make it anyway. So check out the show. And then head on over to the Remade in America podcast wherever you listen to this podcast and listen to the second episode out today. And don't forget to subscribe. You're going to love it. And I'll be back Thursday with another
2: episode of Stay Tuned. See you then. Hello, friends. My name is Basim Yusuf. Welcome to the first episode of my new show, Remade in America, presented by CAFE. Before we get started... A little bit about me. My story begins in Egypt, where I lived until I was 40 years old. I was a regular guy. I was married. I worked as a heart surgeon, you know, a regular dude. But my plan had always been to move to America. But then something strange happened. Egyptians, my people, took to the streets to tell our military dictator Hosni Mubarak to leave. Streets
0: were flooded with tens of thousands of angry people, all demanding a change here in Egypt.
2: You see, in Egypt, we don't have impeachments, we don't have Congress, and we don't have democracy. So a revolution was the only thing that could make him go. And a few weeks later, he did. How nice of him. Now, I didn't take to the streets, but I did contribute in my own way. I made short videos about Egypt's revolution. I made the videos because state-run media were brainwashing the masses. My videos got a lot of views. So many views that a TV station invited me to turn my YouTube videos into an actual TV show. Around the same time, I had an opportunity to move to America, to work there, as a doctor. I was faced with an impossible choice. Even though I had wanted to move to America for the longest time, my country needed my show. So, I stayed in Egypt. The next few years are a blur. We made a bunch of episodes, got a live audience, over 40 million people tuned into my show every week. That's like the Super Bowl every Friday. There was only one problem. The government didn't like my jokes. I knew that if I stayed in Egypt, I would end up in jail. So I left my home and came to America. Why am I doing a podcast? Honestly, I felt like an outsider in Egypt. And it's easy to feel that way here in America, too. I don't think I'm alone in feeling this way. And I want to understand why so many people feel like outsiders like me in this country. And so, together, I hope, we can figure out what it means to belong here in America. I'm Bassam Youssef, and this is Remade in America. Presented by Cafe. I have been vegan for the past four years, and it's changed my life. I try to talk all my friends into being vegan, but they all complain. Basim, it's too hard to be vegan. Not anymore. Not with Sunbasket. Making meals is fun, but making lists and going to the store, not so fun. Now you can explore new flavors, cuisines, and ingredients every week and get delicious recipes and organic produce delivered right to your door. All thanks to Sunbasket. Now you get more options than ever. Just go to the Sunbasket app and pick from 18 recipe options every week. You can eat vegan like me or choose paleo, gluten-free, and many other options. Sunbasket brings you fresh organic food. There's something for every healthy journey and every busy life. Go to somebasket.com/remade today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's somebasket.com/remade for $35 off. somebasket.com/remade. Okay, back to Remade in America. To get things started, I needed to talk to somebody who's been in my shoes, an immigrant a brown guy who made it in America, and then in Hollywood. Actor and comedian Maz Jobrani.
1: My parents never came to any of my events. And then I remembered, I was born in Iran, so I'm an immigrant. Yeah, so when you're an immigrant, you don't want your parents to come to your events. Yeah, because when immigrant parents come to school events, they out you. They, I, as soon as they walk in, they're like, hello, we are immigrants. <laughs> You're like, Dad, shut up! They thought I was one of them!
2: Maz is the ultimate kind of outsider, an immigrant. He moved to the United States from Iran when he was six years old. And today, Maz is a very successful comedian and actor. Maz tackles some of the ways he's an outsider in his comedy. You can see that in his most recent Netflix comedy special, appropriately named Immigrant.
1: It was actually kind of sad because, like I said, I'm Iranian and my wife is Indian, so our kids are all colored up. And um, it was very sad. When Trump won, my little six-year-old girl, she came up to me. She was scared. She goes, Daddy, am I going to get deported? Yeah. And I said, no, baby, you're not going to get deported. I said, you were born here. You're not going to be deported. But I said, Cousin Majid's got to (laughs) go. You might want to say goodbye.
2: (laughs) Maz is really successful, and I'm really jealous. I was excited to have him on the show. We started by talking about how he came to America.
1: You know, I left Iran, I was six years old. I was born in 72. I, I left in 78. So, I grew up in this community in Northern California, which was interesting because in Marin, if you ran into another Iranian, it was an occasion. You would almost embrace each other. It's
2: different for me. When I run into another Egyptian, I don't know if he's a pro Islamist or pro military. So, I kind of like when I run into another Egyptian, I'm very suspicious.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he like me? Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Or does he like the other people? (laughs) Yeah. So, he looks at you and goes, Are you? You go, It depends. Uh, Are you?
2: So when you're growing up here, whatever political repercussions were happening between Iran and the United States, did that affect you?
1: I had an American girlfriend in high school, and Marin is very liberal, as, so it, that was not as big of an issue. We all knew each other at school, and I don't think anybody judged you necessarily on your Iranianness. I had the opposite, which was my parents telling me, hey, it's okay to date Americans and other people, but when you get married, you're going to have to marry an Iranian so if anything it was like racism from the other side and I told my mom I said first of all I might not get married I said second if I get married I don't know I might like I might go to Africa and meet somebody and come home because I fell in love with her I "I don't know who I'm going to fall in love with and I said why are you so intent on me marrying an Iranian she's like well you know they know our culture the language you know if we're having a party and we're telling jokes she's not going to understand it and I was like are you kidding me you want me to marry someone so they can understand your jokes I go this is crazy so from early on I was very integrated and I didn't really buy into that. The irony was when I moved down to LA, I ended up having my first Iranian girlfriend. And then my mom ended up not liking her. So it was, it was it was very ironic.
2: You know, when I was growing up in Egypt, I didn't have your experience. I grew up in my own country and I still had problem with my parents with dating. I used to dance salsa and... Um, my mom was very objecting on this because, like, what kind of a girl are you going to meet and end up marrying if she goes and dance? And as you know, yes. this is something that is frowned upon. Yeah. So I, you don't need to be in a different country to have problems given to you by your
1: parents. Well, you know what's funny is I think that a lot of people from our part of the world are more conservative. So I can't imagine getting up from your country that you've lived in for 40, 45 years and going to another completely different country, not even speaking the language, not knowing if you're going to go back. So there's a lot of stuff that I understand why they would have a hard time. It wasn't like they were excited and they were like, oh, we've done everything we can in Iran. Now we're going to America. Like it wasn't that. It was it was more like, oh, shit, there's a revolution. We got to go.
2: Before we go any further, I should probably explain some things. Maz talked about a revolution. My producers tell me that not everyone in America took a class on Iran, or Iran, as you guys say it. So it's time for a short history lesson. For thousands of years, Iran was ruled by kings. They called themselves shahs. The problem is, People were not very happy. It was oppressive, it was a dictatorship, there was no democracy, and they kept all the money and power. Reminds me of home. So, in the late 1970s, the people of Iran revolted against the Shah, and they replaced him with Ayatollah Khomeini.
0: The Ayatollah Khomeini appears tonight to have come to full power in Iran, as he said he would, in another of those bloody convulsions that have recently swept the country.
2: Ayatollah Khomeini was a self-proclaimed man of God. And he turned Iran from a monarchy into an Islamic state enforcing Sharia law. A lot of people fled Iran during this revolution, including Maz and his family. You see, revolutions are not always a positive thing. As I try to navigate America, and especially as I try to figure out how to translate my career as a TV host in Egypt to doing TV and movies here, I have to say, it's really tough to be a brown guy in Hollywood. Maas fled the revolution at the age of six, and not long after, he took his first steps towards a career in Hollywood. But it took his parents a little longer to get on board.
1: You know, when I was 12 years old in Marin County, I auditioned for my um, junior high school's musical, I had become a big fan of Eddie Murphy as a kid, so I wanted to be like him. I love funny people. Somebody goes, there's a play happening, and there's all the pretty girls are doing it, and let's go try it. I go, I audition, I get in. I get on stage. I love being on stage. I'm 12 years old. I love being on stage. So from then on, I did plays all the way through high school, and every time I would do plays, the director of the school play would tell my parents, hey, he's got something. And my parents would nod or whatever, and then they'd get in the car, and my dad would be like, that bitch is crazy. (laughs) You know, you're going to be a doctor. You know, you're going to be a lawyer. You're Khosrow Jobrani's son. Like that, you know what I'm saying? So one time when I, when he knew I wanted to be an actor, he was trying to talk me out of it. And he's like... Son, you know, you're not gonna succeed in Hollywood. <laughs> I swear to God. He goes, because we're not Jewish. He goes, you need to be Jewish to succeed in Hollywood. So you should think about lawyer or doctor. <laughs> I was like I was like, but they're Jewish too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I went to college, I went to undergrad at UC Berkeley. And originally I studied political science because I had been convinced that I should be a lawyer by my parents. And my mom had even said, listen, if you want to tell jokes and do plays, just do it on the weekends. And I said, okay, that's a good compromise. So I studied poli sci undergrad. Then my junior year, I go to Italy to study abroad. While I'm there, there's a professor. I love what he does. And I think to myself, maybe I'll be a professor. That's a good compromise because that's a job that I think in the community will be looked upon with respect. But also I get to be in front of people and talk about ideas. I go, that's a good compromise. And you can practice your jokes on students who cannot heckle you. Throw some jokes in the (laughs) middle, right? So then I come back to America and I tell my mom I'm going to be a professor and she loses her mind. She goes, are you crazy? There's no work for professors. How do you know the job market for professors? Then I get into UCLA for the graduate school to get my PhD in poli-sci. But right away, I start doing plays again in the theater department. And I feel alive when I'm doing plays at night. And then when I go to class in the morning at the poli-sci class, I'm just like, this isn't for me. And at one point... They even take it one step further, they go, being a professor isn't about lecturing, it's about publishing. You have to keep coming up with books, so publish or perish. And I said, you know what, I'm going to perish, I'm out of here. So I dropped out, and that's when my mom thought I'd lost my mind. See, she was there with my grandmother, and they go, listen, you did not do lawyer, you did not do professor, and they go, at least become a mechanic, I sort of got, and I go, how'd you go from lawyer to mechanic? And they go, well, you know, if there's a revolution, you can go to any country and be a mechanic. You can't go to any country and be an actor. And I was like, you know what? That's pretty deep. But that's the, that's someone who came from a revolution thinking like you should have a job that you can do anywhere in the world. Be honest with you. Listen, when the whole Muslim ban thing, people were saying Muslim ban. They asked me, "Are you afraid of Muslim ban?" I go, "I'm not afraid personally of the Muslim ban because the honest truth is, I'm really not that religious. Okay, I'm not that religious. Like, I was born in Iran, but I'm not really religious. Okay, like I'm not really, I'm not really Muslim. I'm more like Muslim-ish. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this is how Muslim I am. Like, I could play a Muslim in a movie. You'd go see it. You'd believe it. <laughs> right? You go to a movie. You see me on the screen. Aloha, <laughs> But oh, he's good. Look at that. Wow. <laughs> oh, he speaks the language, wow When I first started stand-up There wasn't any other Iranian comedians it, I, I was probably In a lineup of 10, 15 comedians I was always very unique Because I was talking about my experience Being Iranian in America I have two observations First of all, you've done a lot of acting And second You didn't actually just play terrorist. Yeah, yeah. It was a variety. Uh, But again, you were still typecast. So I started getting a couple terrorist parts. And then Chuck Norris did a movie of the week called The President's Man, A Line in the Sand. There I played a terrorist. And in all honesty, I hated it. I really didn't like it. And I realized, wow, they're going to send me out for these parts because I'm Iranian. So I did that. And after the Chuck Norris movie, I said, I don't want to do any more terrorist parts. Because at that point, I'd done two terrorist parts. I said, no more. And my agents were like, okay. And then the, the TV show 24 called. And they were like, listen, it's a terrorist. And I was like, no. And they go, but he changes his mind halfway through the mission. And I go, ooh, the ambivalent terrorist. I like that. That's kind of layered. So I took that. That was the last time I played a terrorist. And it's just interesting because you have to say no at a certain point, you know? A lot of times it actually. It works. Like One of the best words in Hollywood they say is to say, no, I don't want to do terrorist parts. It did work,
2: and you now have a very successful career in acting. And it's kind of like, I need you to make it even bigger because that gives me hope. Because if you don't get your own big blockbuster, when I'm going to have mine? (laughs) You're still
1: in my way. I need to move you You out of my (laughs) way so they come to me. People go, when do you make it? When is the night? When is the day? What was the thing that made you realize you made it? And I go, you know, in movies you have in your mind that, like, you're, you're walking down the street and someone goes, you, I'm going to make you a star. But in reality, it's a series of days and nights and projects where you make it and make it and make it, and you really don't know what that project is going to be.
2: What Mars just said really made me think. I mean, not even getting terrorist parts. I don't know if I will ever make it in Hollywood. So instead, I'm making a podcast. Let's take a break. When we come back, parenting, comedy, and porn. So don't leave us. Did I mention there was porn? I wish I'd known about ZipRecruiter when I was hiring my podcast team. ZipRecruiter build a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, Free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Remade. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Remade. Don't repeat my mistake. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Support for Remade in America comes from Casper, not the ghost. It's a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. At Casper, mattresses are perfectly designed for humans. They are engineered to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. You spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Casper brand mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. So in short, it remembers you. Like a ghost. Casper offers free shipping in the US and Canada, and if you aren't completely satisfied, Casper makes it easier to return your mattress at no charge and no hassle you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep on a trial. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com/remade and using promo code REMADE at checkout. That's casper.com/remade and promo code REMADE for $50 towards select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, welcome back to Remade in America, presented by Cafe. We are talking to comedian Maz Jubrani about growing up in America as an Iranian immigrant and dealing with cultural differences, both at home and on stage. Uh, my producer tell me that early download numbers are important, so to help them... Uh, Let's talk about sex. Um, (laughs) uh, How did your parents handle the issue of sex? Did they ever had the
1: talk with you? No, there's no talk. (laughs) I don't think they, I don't even know. They never talked about anything with sex. I don't remember them at all. That was, you know, that's an American thing. As I was going through puberty, I think, I don't know who introduced me to my first pornographic magazine, but I do remember going to my mom and I was like, I want to get a porno. I didn't go to my dad. I went to my mom and I was I think I was like I'd like one. And she was like, Okay, I'll buy it for you. So I remember we made a trip with the whole family with me, my sister and two brothers, and we all went to seven eleven and my mom bought me a porno magazine called We. O U I. We. Your mom. My mom. She was pretty like I said, she was she was pretty hip in some ways, conservative in some ways, but I think she was like laughing about it. Like she was like, This is to her it was funny. And then we <laughs> And it wasn't like we were in the corner looking at it. Then we bought it, and then we, then we opened it up. And in the middle of it, for whatever reason, they had an obesely fat, like she, couldn't move fat centerfold. Wow. And her name was Lulu. I remember with me and my, like, younger brothers, I think we were all looking, and we are like, oh, I, my God. I, I, I think your mom wanted
2: to traumatize you from. I
1: <laughs> I was traumatized. <laughs> By the way,
2: we're not fat-shaming anyone. We're just talking about the expected standards.
1: And then I remember a friend of mine found two grocery bags of Playboys that someone had left out for, wow. like, the garbage to take. That is treasure. So he gave me one of those. And so that again became like my little, uh, you know, stock of Playboys. And then after a while, I remember, I think we were in the seventh grade. He and I both started talking about the fact that we have all these Playboys. So then the other guys in our class were like, well, you got to share it, man. So we brought those to school and we were selling them for like five bucks a pop. That was my sex education was Playboys and obesely fat women in, uh, in that magazine. You know, people look at the
2: Middle East as this conservative place who have like very strict rules about sex and sexuality and everything. But everybody now is talking about the underground, behind the closed doors in Iran, in Saudi Arabia, even in Egypt. Yeah. I mean, there's like a... Iran have a, a huge liberal population, but they're doing everything behind closed doors.
1: Yeah. I think my mom, like I've seen my mom over the years become more and more open minded but it's amazing how as a community I still see it I mean I do stand up I do jokes sometimes where I, I can't believe like I was doing jokes that were like pro-gay marriage be, let people be themselves and I've had people at my comedy show comment like I was. it was a joke that, that had that talked about Caitlyn Jenner and, and sex change and all that stuff and I said, I'm, I said I support that like anybody wants to do whatever they want let them do it and I've had people in the audience like one lady at one show was like that's disgusting and I was like are you kidding me and that
2: lady might not be religious she's conservative but she found that offensive she was it was
1: an iranian jewish event and so not only are you iranian which means you're probably if you look at it in the bigger picture a lot of americans don't like you you're jewish which means you've been persecuted and yet you're willing to judge a gay person or someone who wants to change their sexuality It's like i don't get that and i've had it also with iranian muslims i'm not just saying it was just the jewish part it was it's it's I think that people that have it in their minds that grow up in conservative cultures, they sometimes, again, don't think about the irony that, wow, I've been persecuted in this country, and yet I'm willing to judge other people and persecute them. So you're talking about something here being criticized for
2: being, in their opinion, not appropriate, whether it was a pro-gay joke or maybe certain language. Profanity, right. Profanity. And on my show, they would leave... The bigger picture, they will ignore it and they will attack you for profanity. It's like,
1: that yeah. is not acceptable. Yeah. You had that. You know, I, I feel the judgment. I think our parents do a good job of instilling in us this judgment of the community. So I remember growing up and my dad would say, well, you know, you're Kostro Jobrani's son. You know, you can't be seen doing this or that. Like, you have a name in the community. So you feel like I'm being judged. I feel like everywhere I go, like, and we would, like, they would take us to parties. And at the party, you can't be yourself. You got to be very, hello, sir. How are you? Nice to, you know, very nice kid. And for the most part, I was a good kid anyway, but you can't let loose in any way. Even as an adult, like, I don't cuss that much. But I was doing stand-up, and when you do stand-up comedy at the comedy store, there's a lot of comedians who are super dirty, and they'll get up there and just cuss and go really dirty and raw. I remember one night I was doing a show, and I ended up cussing a little bit, and I suddenly remembered my Iranian friend's mother had come to the show. And so then I felt really self-conscious, and I stopped my show, and I turned to them. I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cuss. I really feel bad. And the people were laughing because they're like, what's this guy's problem? I go, that's my friend's mom. I'm so sorry. This is a disgrace. And they were laughing. And then I realized, you know what? We all know these words exist. So these people who decide to bask on that and come after you on that, then I go, you know what, man? That's an issue you got to deal with. It's actually very freeing. So when I do it in my show, when I do like like I do the bit in the immigrant special where I grab my crotch, and then I and then I make fun of what I know some of them are thinking. Some of them are going like, "Oh my God, he yeah. grabbed his balls! Why did he grab his balls?" It's just like amazing that like all your life you're trying to please someone. You're always
2: on the outside. Yeah. Americans judge you because yeah. you are. Iranian and yeah.
1: Iranians judge you because you're not Iranian enough yeah
2: you're not representative you have to be re- representative you know what I
1: remind myself sometimes I remind myself I go okay I'm 46 years old so I'm no longer a kid I don't have to I don't have to talk I don't have to respect any of these people I have a mortgage I go I have a friggin' mortgage like that that's the best place to get it's so freeing in your mind when you just go this is who I am and so if you like it come if you don't no big deal
2: When I was a kid, my parents didn't think it was their job to tell me they love me. But in America, it feels like you're required to tell your kids you love them. And Maz talks about this a lot in his comedy.
1: Immigrant dads don't play catch with anybody. (laughs) I came to America six years old. If I went to my dad when I was six to ask him to play catch, if I went, hey, dad, let's play catch. He'd be like, you're lucky you're in America. You want to play catch? I send you to Iran. You can play catch with Khomeini and Saddam Hussein. I'll be honest with you. I love being a parent, and I know it's a lot harder. I mean, there are times like, geez, I think it was just yesterday or the day before where I was kind of grumpy. And I caught my, I was like, wow, why are you being so grumpy? And like everything my son would do, I was like, what are you doing? Put, why, put on, we're going on a bike. Put on your helmet. What are you thinking? Like, you know, you get frustrated, but... In the end, I'm on a bike ride with my son. My dad never went on a bike ride with me. That said, my father was very loving to us in terms of like he was very generous, always gave to us, always. I think he gave me a lot of confidence in who I was. But the culture wasn't one of like, oh, let's go outside and kick the ball or let's go play catch. It was like, here's $20, go play. Um, My mom used to hit us. Now she's like one of my – she's like a friend of mine. But, yeah, it's a very – Gosh, I'm a little worried about the future of our kids cuz we are we coddle them a lot. And so like my son is highly sensitive. So anything that's ever said to him he will take it personally, and he'll like if I say something, he'll go to his mom and be like, "Daddy said whatever." I forget what he did. I, you know what? He was farting. I think he's lactose intolerant. And he was farting, and I might have been like, "Woo, that stink!" Oh my God, what are you rotten? Da, da, da. You know, that's just like busting your balls, right? I mean, yeah. and I fart. I mean, it's okay, but well, I
2: think- but he goes to his mom. I mean, your wife is Indian, and Indians are not known to be that oh, yeah. easy either. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. No,
1: my wife. Uh, a lot of people when they find out my wife's Indian, they're like, "Oh my God, that's so great!" It's like she must be yoga and Gandhi and peaceful. <laughs> I go, uh-uh. I go, she's like the Indian Joe Pesci. She cusses, she gets upset. She's type A and I'm, I'm a lot more laid back. And so we actually work well together in that sense. But yeah, there's a fine line, as you know, about discipline and responsibility and all that. And also telling them that you love them. So I try as much as I can to remind myself, you know, I'm 46 years old. So sometimes I'm just tired. I just want to sit there in front of the television and watch people argue with each other on CNN or whatever it is. But then the kid will come in the room, and I go, okay, let me pay attention to my son or daughter. And in the end, it's actually great. I, I, I tell people that don't have kids, I say it's almost like you get to relive your childhood. So I'm watching my son play soccer, you know, my daughter playing tennis, or, or my daughter will bring her friends over, and they'll start making videos and dance stuff, and I'm just like, I'm, I love it.
2: I learned a few things during this conversation. As soon as this episode is done, I'm going to call up Hollywood and say no, a lot. Then drive home and take my kids on a bike ride to the corner store and buy them porn. Hey, if they turn out anything like Moz, then I'll be a happy daddy. <laughs> Remade in America will be back next week. In the meantime, I could use your help figuring out what to talk about next. Have you ever felt like an outsider? What would you like me to discuss on this show? I put a call out on social media and many of you responded. Here's a message we got from Chosie Ayub. He called from Atlanta. I'm Palestinian and you come to the south and I was not black, I was not white. I didn't know how much happened here in the past between blacks and whites, segregation, civil war racism and the KKK. So coming here, I definitely felt like an outsider and I was trying to fit in. Dude, and I thought I was having it tough in Los Angeles. Thanks for the call, Chosie. There are a lot of people who feel like outsiders in this country. And race plays a big part in that. We're going to talk about that next week. If you have an outsider story or a question for me or want to suggest a topic that we cover on this show, tweet at me. Or call me at 785 4 bassin If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every good review makes it easier for new listeners to find the show. And that means I don't have to accept even one terrorist role. Remade in America is presented by Cafe and produced by Neon Hum Media. Our show producer is Vikram Patel. Editorial support from Ashley Clique. Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Our theme song is by Beethoven Music. And special thanks to Jeff Eisenman and Brian Carmel. I'm Bassim Youssef. Talk to you soon.